Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen, someone whose own writing is an important valued resource to spiritual seekers. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to reach our spiritually hungry world with Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that each of us is a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. Father Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest who founded Homeboy Industries in 1986. Homeboy Industries is the largest and most successful gang intervention, rehabilitation, and re-entry program in the world. Every year, over 10,000 former gang members from across Los Angeles come through Homeboy Industries doors in an effort to make a positive change. Father Greg has written some wonderful books, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion, Barking to the Choir, The Power of Radical Kinship, The Whole Language, The Power of Extravagant Tenderness, the latest book that I've been reading is Forgive Everyone Everything. It beautifully combines the artwork of Fabian Deborah with stories from Greg's work with various people that land on his doorstep and his life at Homeboy Industries. Father Greg, it is such a joy to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be with you. Greg, you have been such a champion for change with uh, a heart that chooses to love over judgment. I have always felt you're a kindred spirit to Henry Nouwen. Have his books been valuable in your spiritual journey? Oh my gosh, I'm I'm 50 years a Jesuit this year. So, and I remember in the, you know, when I first, uh, you know, the wounded healer and and all and and actually he was my professor for a semester at uh, at Harvard Divinity. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. Yeah. 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 He and Parker Palmer taught us. A course together on on ministry, and uh, and then he he was only there that one semester, and I was lucky enough to be in his class. Oh, that's excellent! You yeah. know, Greg, I I know that you grew up in Los Angeles, and one of the things that I realize is that something quite transformative happened to you. How did you go from maybe in a way not seeing the poor and the needs of what was happening in your city to being so incredibly up to your earlobes involved in it? <laughs> what happened? How did that happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I again, I, I was educated by the Jesuits, so I became a Jesuit. And, and all along the way, you know, from, uh, you know, kind of working in soup kitchens and being a hospice grief counselor uh, to running a service project at a high school and then going to Bolivia, which kind of turned me inside out, you know, actually um, Henry, when he wrote the book Gracias, it was, um, you know, he had spent some time in, in the same uh, Mary Knoll language school there as I did. He was there some years before me, I think. Yeah. And uh, so, and then that kind of turned me inside out and, and I felt sort of evangelized by the poor. So, and I just kind of, you know, you evolve your way, you back your way into things. You don't exactly plot out some kind of course, <laughs> you know, and it's the next thing. So I was ordained in 84 
and I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I ended up, I said, well, I want to solidify my Spanish. And then, then it kind of just changed me forever. I've loved your books. And I've actually come across recordings, you know, and been, and I've loved your storytelling. Your books are packed with good stories. And in them, there is, there is a tenderness. There is a, it's almost like you're introducing not just your homies, the people that are coming through homeboy industries, but actually you're introducing us all to the tenderness of God's heart, to the bigness, to the, that's what I kind of always feel when I'm reading something by you. I've, I realize that I'm, I'm being introduced to a God that is bigger and kinder and gentler, and, I, and I'm, I'm so grateful to meet him in those words. Yeah, well, I, you know, the gang members have taught me everything of value, and, and, and so you discover, I think, you know, it's, you find the heart of God, and you find how, how God loves and who God, who God loves. And then it just opens up this door where you're able to, uh, you know, want to be as, uh, strive to be as spacious and accepting as, uh, as the God we have. And so, you know, I mean, like the gospel today, it says, how do you, how do you grow rich in the things that matter to God? And these are the things that matter, you know, inclusion and nonviolence and unconditional loving kindness and compassionate acceptance. And so you, you try to roll up your sleeves and, and you try to love as, as, as God loves, you know, and anyway, that's where the joy is and just loving being loving. It's hard to do. Mm. And that's for sure. I I feel like you take us on that journey through the stories you tell through the, the stories of people's lives. And I, I find that, uh, it, it, it constantly softens my heart just listening to those stories. But I'm, I'm curious because you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I look at it and I go, if I was in a, in gang territory, I'd be afraid. And there seems to be a fearlessness in you. Where, where does that come from? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I, it's, so in the early days, you know, I don't know why. I, I just felt kind of a comfort. And it was kind of my community. It was where I lived. And, and so to kind of walk in the housing projects, which were two contiguous housing projects, that had eight gangs at war with each other, you know, it took time, but, but as soon as you, as soon as you try to kind of engage in what I would call relational wholeness, you know, where you listen to people and you, and you try to embody a no matter whatness with them, well, all that stuff just really, uh, you know, it issues in a, a, a different kind of sense of security and safety. So I, I never really felt in danger, you know, mm-hmm. but in the end, these things are cho- choices, you know, joy and, and fearlessness are things you choose. You know, they're not things that fall out of the sky, mm. you know, and kind of land in your lap. And then you say, Oh, okay. You know, today I feel fearless. It's really about choosing fearlessness and so but you have to keep choosing it with every breath you take you know and sometimes you pray be fearless for me because this this is a hard moment mm-hmm. and uh and then you're sustained so I, I i believe in the god who protects me from nothing but sustains me in everything so sometimes you have to uh you know kind of request it and it's given 
you know. I, I know you through your book, so I'll probably make lots of reference to that. But I would say that, you know, even as you're telling stories about offering love and acceptance and new beginnings to people that desperately need them, I find you're also calling believers into a different kind of a, a different kind of a God, a bigger, more generous, a, a God that um, delights, delights in seeing us. And, uh, and I find that such a healthy, healthy reminder. Well, I think we get so stuck in, in kind of a, you know, this personified deity of our childhood, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and then you, you, you kind of start to see the wide open spaces of, of the God we actually have. I, I was thinking, you know, the God who indicts is not the God we have. The God we actually have invites. So you kind of try to find the invitation, you know, it's always, mm-hmm. um, I was hearing a poet the other day talk about God as beauty and, and that the word beauty comes from the word calling. And so it's like an invitation. So it's never wagging God's finger or indicting us for something that we've done, but it's always find the invitation, you know, and sometimes you have to sift quite a bit through scripture and through whatever we're hearing. And you go, well, where's the invitation of the God we actually have, which will always be spacious and expansive and, uh, you know, calling us, inviting us to, to, to greater love. And that's where the joy is, you know? So I was thinking the other day, you know, Willie Sutton, who spent like half his life in prison, like 30 years, somebody famously said, uh, why do you rob banks? And he says, it's where the money is, you know? (laughs) And, but it's the same kind of principle. It's like, why do you do what you're doing? Well, the hope is the answer is it's where the joy is. And so the joy is where you inhabit your, your true self and loving. And that's where you want to be always. You want to be in that place of, you know, a love that never stops loving. I love you've got a phrase, I think, in uh, Forgive Everyone Everything. One of the little chapters of meditation says, here's the good news. The God we most deeply want is the God we actually have. It's a, it's a great quote. I think that's what I kind of find on the pages of, of what I read is that you you keep saying, this is the God that really does love you. He's not judging you. He's wanting you. He's he's courting you. He's coming after you. Yeah, because it's we settle for a partial God when we should hold out for the God we actually have. And But we get caught in, the, in these old, tired ways of, you know, like, did that action please God or is God displeased? Yeah. And you just go, well, gosh, I don't know. God is too busy loving us to have any time to be disappointed or displeased. And it's hard to, it's hard to fathom. Although parents and grandparents have this kind of sense of loving their kids that is certainly comparable Mm-hmm. But somehow we think that God is this other kind of being. And it, that's probably the problem in, in assigning a sense of being to God, because we're human beings and we're mm-hmm. always going to project onto God what we think. And it's too bad because it's kept us 
you know, kind of constricted when, when, you know, God is trying to kind of always break open the hearts and, and, uh, open the way to, to be. And, um, it's hard to do. You have a, a, a sweet expression in the book, living in, in love's energy. And, uh, it, it, that kind of, there's a freedom, there's a lovely freedom in it, as opposed to a, a sense of a God judging every move you make, and and somehow you're failing God. I, I think, too, um, one of the things I, I particularly appreciated is your kind of distinction between guilt and shame, and how that can really, you know, be something that nags away at us. Well, I mean, we're always trying to, it's the principal suffering of the poor, you know, throughout history and, and throughout scripture. And so part of the task is to dismantle the messages of shame and disgrace, and you want to replace them, not with some Pollyanna invention, but you want to replace them with, you know, the truth, you know, and which is why I kind of the starting place around here at Homeboy is, is people are unshakably good and we belong to each other. So once you kind of, if those are your two non-negotiables, then take it from there. You know, then you can start to uh, really accompany people and and we can walk each other home. But it's not a sifting of who's good and who's bad. It's really, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It, It has to do with everybody is this light and, and how do we, help each other inhabit their true selves and loving. It's not about becoming a better person because you, you, you couldn't be one bit better, but it, you could know that truth more deeply. And the more you know it, the more you live it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, cherishing people is, is not hard, but remembering to cherish people, that's difficult. And so, you know, we're, we're always kind of reminding ourselves to remember. So like in, in recovery, you know, they'll say one day at a time. And I always think that's way too long, you know, (laughs) you know, it's really, it's really with every breath you take, you cherish. And with every breath you want to be able to, um, you want that to be your intentionality as you proceed and and put one foot in front of the next nothing is once and for all you don't you really don't sit in the morning and say you know i'm i'm deciding to be loving and and there we are you know it doesn't really work that way i love the phrase you use you use it a great deal kinship it seems like something that in a way you've understood and Maybe just unwrap that a little bit for us. Yeah, you know, I think part of the thing is uh, belonging is about creating kinship, connection, where there is no daylight that separates us. And that's what you hope for. You know, you want to be able to, uh, you know, bridge anything, any kind of distance. And so belonging creates kinship, but it also undoes aloneness and and undoing aloneness is, is part of the kind of the task around here. You know, it's like, how do you help coax people out of their own isolation? And uh, so community is kind of the answer. You know, um, I, I heard somebody, I was on a Zoom the other day with 
a woman who was asking me questions and and she works for uh, for homeless in West Virginia. And she said something I'd never heard before. She said, uh, people don't become homeless because they run out of money. They become homeless because they run out of relationships. And Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, that somehow you want to be able to ensure that people don't run out of relationships. And so the answer is kind of community first. That's what will kind of uh, help us all you know, to enter into, uh, you know, communion, Mm -hmm. which is God's dream come true is kinship, that Mm -hmm. you may be one. And so, so you're trying to foster a culture that creates the community of beloved belongings, where nobody feels isolated or left out. And that's just kind of a key thing around here. It's hard to do. Mm -hmm because you have to pay attention a lot, but it's certainly uh, worth, you know, the effort. It's interesting when you say about you have to pay attention a lot. It's one of the things I'm struck with uh, in reading your books. They're full of stories of people just kind of showing up out or showing up, longing for your attention and that you have time and you build relationships that have length to them, not just a moment, but, you know, that ongoing history of relationship. Kinship is not going away from somebody. It's staying there in the in the midst of that and, and valuing it, I think. Yeah, and it's messy all along the way, you know, mm. you know, and, and you bump into each other and people get their nose out of joint, you know, and, mm-hmm. it's, and, and you get annoyed and you you can't help yourself sometimes, but to be taken to that place where you don't want to be taken. I just had a homie in here saying that, you know, he kind of blew up with somebody and he said it, 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 I was out of character mm-hmm. and it was painful for him. You know, it, it, maybe that wasn't painful for him five years ago, Yeah, but it's painful to him now. And, you know, so this is a good thing. This is progress. You know, we all bump into each other. You know, you kick the dog, but it's not the dog's fault. Something's going on. <laughs> yeah. So you want to you want to kind of, you know, what's going on? What's what is what's underneath this? And so I, I don't know. It, it's kind of important for people to be attentive to that. And, uh, you know, it's two steps forward, five steps backwards. That's OK. You know. <laughs> and you just want to be patient with yourself. Well, I was happy that he could say that to me because it, he was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's okay, you know. We were able to, and like we hugged each other as he left. And it was like, it's not about doing better the next time. It's just trying to get underneath, find the thorn underneath, as the homies always say around here. Mm. You know, and it's an exploration to kind of say, well, where did that come from? What led me to be taken to a place that I haven't been taken to for a while? And uh, so you feel the pain, you feel the the sting of it, and then you, uh, you know, try to learn as much as you can. Greg, I was amazed to see that there are, you know, I think of Homeboy Industries being just there in, in Los Angeles. But you've been multiplied many times. There are many people that have come and said, this is the way to do it. 
and I think it's in th- there's over 300. Is that correct? Uh, all over the world. Yeah. So what we have is we have the global homeboy network. So we have programs 300 in the country and 50 outside the country that are loosely modeled on homeboys. So they're probably initially they were all either dealing with gangs or returning citizens. Now it's kind of a methodology that that people use all over the country and the world where it's how do you address, you know, vexing complex dilemma like, you know, the unhoused and uh, mental health issues and all those kinds of things, you know. So we call it the Global Homeboy Network. So we gather every uh, summer for three days, all our partners, the ones who can come from all over. And we, uh, you know, kind of share best practices and that kind of thing. Maybe just tell our audience a little bit. I'm, I'm going to encourage them, obviously, to go to your website. And if I, I can't imagine that they haven't heard of you, but if they haven't, I will encourage them to do that. Tell them a little bit about some of the, I don't know whether to call them services that you do. One of the things was it just really started with offering employment to people that weren't employed, which I thought was a good beginning. Tell, tell us a little bit about what, what Homeboy Industries offers. Yeah, so we've evolved over the years since 1988. We were a job placement program, and then we we couldn't find enough felony-friendly employers. So we we started our own kinds of little adventures, you know, and maintenance crew, landscaping crew, different things. And then we, um, you know, so now we have 11 social enterprises, bakeries, restaurants, that kind of thing. And then we have tattoo removal, we have therapy, we have classes, uh, and we have the centerpiece is our 18-month training program where folks come in and it kind of, it's really about healing. Um, And so people do the work and they excavate their wounds and they, you know, learn how to transform their pain so they don't have to transmit it anymore. So that kind of thing. And so some 10,000 folks a year wander through our doors, you know, wanting to reimagine their lives. And so uh, that's the kind of the principle. I guess I have to say this. When I come to your books, I find Jesus. I find a God who's tender and kind. In a sense, I don't always find that everywhere. In, in, uh, but but it's, it's, I think, what has undone me as I read and as I want to hand these out to others, tell me about the one who can't take his eyes off of you. Well, yeah, I think it's, uh, I can't remember who Teresa of Avila comes from her, uh, you know, behold the one beholding you and smiling. <laughs> and it and it comes from a story of a friend of mine, Jesuit, who was taking care of his father. And then uh, as he was putting him to bed at the, you know, he was in his 90s and it was, <laughs> he was very frail and dying. But the father, the son would read him to sleep like the father used to do to him when he was a boy. And the father, you know, would just stare at his kid and smile. And and, the, and my Jesuit friend Bill would say, go to sleep. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired. And he would pretend to go to sleep, but then he couldn't help himself. Oh. And he said, Billy, I just want to stare at you. And it was like, he couldn't take his eyes off his kid. And, you know, that's exactly the kind of God we have. And we don't believe it. And we've never believed it. 
But that's the God we should hold out for, because that's the God we actually have. And and it's liberating to know that's the truth. My friend Mirabai Starr says, once you know the God of love, you fire all the other gods. <laughs> and and that's the that is the adult task when it comes to God. It's it's about firing all the other gods. And that's what you hope for. I, I will encourage everyone to be reading what we've been sharing a little bit from because I really think it's important. I really think it's rich food for the soul, rich food that will make you strong in the inner man. And, uh, you know, I always felt that what Henry captured was he he got that he was beloved. He was a person that found that hard to receive. So when it finally gets through to you that God loves you, he wanted to pass it on to everybody as well. A beloved child of God. That's right. Uh, do you recall anything that you took from that time of being in those classes? Or what a lucky man to be sitting in on Parker Palmer and Henry Nowen. Well, you know, I do remember the thing I always quote, you know, because um, it was a class on ministry. And I remember there was a young woman who, who just at one point just said, well, what is ministry? And he, he's, Henry's trying to kind of formulate. And then he looked at the woman and he said, can you receive people? And that's always stayed with me, you know, because we always think it's about doing or saving yeah. or rescuing or yeah. outcomes or being effective. But, but that I've, I've never forgotten that. And that was, you know, in that was 40 years ago yeah. and it was like, uh, can you receive people? And, and, and that's what you hope for. Can you be reached by people? Can you allow your heart to be altered? So, it turns ministry on its head. It's it's not about performance. It's yeah. about uh, just gently receiving people, and then and then people start to inhabit the truth of who they are, and they feel, you know, quickened to to love in the same way, you know, so to love themselves and others in the same way. Well, I'm going to say that I would encourage everyone to be reading these books because it does tell the story of receiving. Very interesting, very, very special people. You tell the stories well. You're a good storyteller. It makes me laugh. And it, uh, and I guess it also, there's nothing more disarming than honesty when you're not putting up the false self, but you're just being the real self, <laughs> walking your way through messes that we create and that others create. And uh, I think you do that very well, Greg, very well. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us today. I'm really grateful. I really am. And thank you for honoring uh, Henry's uh, memory. I, that's a privilege for me. That's a great privilege. I Here I am being able to, uh, I guess our our mission is to share with others, you know, the, the reality that they're beloved. Because when Henry found that out, it was the thing most worthwhile to share with everyone else. But I want to thank you because you've introduced me and you continue to introduce people through your books and through your talks to a big and a generous God who loves extravagantly. And you're a witness to that transforming power of tenderness. Father Greg Boyle, I thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. What an honor for me to spend time with one of my heroes, Father Greg Boyle. He's written the book, Forgive Everyone Everything. If our discussion today or the very title speaks to you, I encourage you to get Greg's book and let his wisdom and compassion inspire you. For more resources related to today's conversation, click on the links on the podcast page of our website 
You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd be so grateful if you would take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass this on to your friends and companions on the faith journey. Thanks for listening. Until next time.